probably had uh, something like this on Christmas morning, pile of gifts waiting to be opened. <laughs> and we have a, an official Santa who hands them out, usually the youngest person in the family. And then afterwards, there's another pile, and that's a pile of uh, <laughs> a wrapping paper. What if the piles got mixed up? What if you threw away the gifts by mistake and kept the wrapping paper? Keep that in mind as I take you on a little trip this morning. I don't know when I started being conscious of whatever Generation X is. That's a while back. And then I realized people were talking about a certain kind, a certain age grouping. And then I fit that in with baby boomers. I was pretty conscious of who baby boomers were because that's when the guys came home from being in war. They bought houses. They had a lot of babies. So that was back in the 40s, 50s, and so forth. And so I found that uh, sociologists and the popular culture have identified these generations. And uh, we, I went back and I, I found there's a whole lot more about this than I realized. Um, that I was curious about what my generation is. My generation is the silent generation. So I can't talk anymore. <laughs> and, and we're kind of the smallest generation because our parents didn't have kids because they couldn't afford kids. It was right after the Depression or during the Depression. And then I found that they've named uh, generations since, like Generation X and then Generation Y, who are also called millennials, born 82 to 2001. And then Generation Z, is you young guys. And then they're also starting to name uh, Generation Alpha, because there's nothing comes after Z <laughs> in the end. Generation Alpha is kids under seven. Uh, now, if you go back earlier, I found out that, uh, that there were names for generations even before those. And actually, Gertrude Stein, back in the uh, around early 1900s, named the Lost Generation. <laughs> They were the people whose young men fought in World War I. Um, and then the greatest generation are the, the people in the next generation who actually fought in World War II. And, uh, and then uh, there's me. This is not a new idea. I think it's kind of clever, right? Which generation are you? X, Y, Z, Alpha, another, another whole category. But biblically, we're faced with the reality of generations. Biblical history comes to us generation after generation. Do you know that huh, I got out my concordance and there are over 120 times in the Old Testament when the word generation is used? and actually over 40 in the New Testament. 
Let me just give you a sampling. We'll start with Genesis 6-9. These are the generations, the descendants of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Now there's a distinctness about his generation, and that's characterized in Genesis 6-9. In chapter 17, we read about Abraham and God's promise to him in verse 7. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Then, of course, we were reminded of the stones as, uh, as Lauren read to us about that episode, and they were told in, t in future times, in future generations, make sure your offspring hear this story. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who maintains covenant loyalty with those who love him and keep his commandments to the thousandth generation. Joshua 22, therefore we said, let us now build an altar, not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness. And between us and you, and between the generations after us, that we do perform the service of the Lord, etc. Judges, chapter 2, verse 8. And Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord died at the age of 110 years, so they buried him within the bounds of his inheritance in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gosh. Moreover, Mount Gosh, that's interesting, Gosh. Moreover, that whole generation was gathered to their ancestors, and another generation grew up after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So you see there's a distinction between generations. Just as in our time, there is a distinction from one generation to another. Psalm 48, verse 12. Walk about Zion, go all around it, count its towers, consider well its ramparts, go through its citadels, that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will be our guide forever. Psalm 71, 17. O oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. You see, someone gave it to me. So even to old age and gray hairs, if I had any, <laughs> do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to all generations to come. Now I'm down to three. I've got child, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. When I have my great-great-grandchildren, I'll preach this again. <laughs> to all generations to come, your power and your righteousness, O God, reach the high heavens. You have done great things, O God, who is like you. Psalm 78, verse 4 and verse 8. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done and that they should not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation. 
a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Psalm 91, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. So much here about generations. I have a new way of organizing this. And, uh, and even on into uh, the New Testament, Matthew 11, Jesus used this term. But to what will I compare this generation, his generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another. We played the flute for you. You did not dance. We wailed. You did not mourn. And then similar passage in Luke 9:41 from Jesus. Jesus answered, You're, you faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here, and then he did a healing. Uh, generations vary in our lifetime, and generations varied in biblical times. Every generation had the responsibility to to pass on to the next generation what is valuable, what is right, what is wrong, how to know God. And in Israel's history, you see that happening. Uh, think of the Ten Commandments. The first three commandments are all about acknowledging God. Don't have any idols, don't use my name in vain, and so forth. These three out of ten. Why is there so much about acknowledging God for who he is? Because they lived in a world that believed in many gods. And they had to learn that there was one God. And so, don't take his name in vain. Don't have any other gods. Don't make any idols. There was a, a commandment about war. Excuse me, about killing. About murder. And yet, in those early days, there was a lot of killing done in the name of God. In fact, whole people groups were wiped out because God said, take over the land and destroy the population. How does that all go together? In one generation, it means one thing. In another generation, it means another thing. Sorry, my mind, I just went to the pony rides in <laughs> Griffith Park. We're worried because those ponies have bridles on them. But that's the way horses have been controlled throughout history. But in our day, we don't need horses for working. And so we have people among us, and maybe I feel this way, that, that horses shouldn't be bridled. They should be free. In the past, our, gener our g previous generations couldn't feel that way. Because if there were no horses, they would have no food to eat because they had to plow the fields and so forth. The, the, the ruling about the Sabbath, keep it holy. Well, the, the, the lesson here is that there's a, a rhythm in life that should be respected. There was a rhythm in creation between God's creative acts and God's resting, and we need to pattern that in our lives. In fact, you see a lot in the Old Testament about sabbatical years. That's every seventh year 
The farmer had to do something different with his land, had to allow it to rest. And every jubilee, which is seven times seven, 50 years, all ownership of property had to return to what it was 50 years ago. Now imagine where capitalism would be. So the law, even in the Ten Commandments, there, there's a, a, a gift and, and, there, and, there, and there's a wrapping around that gift. And we have to look at the laws of the Old Testament and see the gifts, the pile of gifts that God has given us there. But we also have to be able to distinguish between the gift and the wrapping. Otherwise, we try to sell the wrapping as the gift. And there are many people who try to maintain all the Old Testament laws as if they were the gift. But they were the wrapping. And the Christian church had to acknowledge that. So we've seen the generations of our lifetime. We've seen the generations of Israel's history. There have also been generations of church history. Sometimes we feel like the church has always been the same, right? And we're just, in Altina Baptist Church, we're just being the biblical church. Well, actually, the church has taken many shapes. The early years of the church, it was survival. This is the time when people gave their lives as martyrs and barely uh, made it through with a witness to pass their gift on to someone else. Then there was a time when the struggle was for theological purity, the third and fourth century. Some battles over this uh, fine points of theology about the personhood of Christ. I've studied a lot of that period and seen who was defined as heretics, right? Virtually all of us would have been defined as heretics. But they were very precise about their theology. And then the church had a period when the issue was authority. And that's when the leadership in the church developed with the, the whole top-down patriarchal um, rulership in the church from the pope on down through the bishops. And that was the preoccupation. And then there was a preoccupation with symbolism and mystery and a preoccupation with expansion. And what one generation said was the important work of the church didn't apply in the next generation. And we've always lived with that. So there are generations of Israel's history, there are generations of church history, and there are generations of our own Christian experience. And we have to recognize that. So I was raised uh, with a series of moral values, which I believe I should pass on to my children my grandchildren, and so forth. But I need to make sure I'm not passing on the wrapping instead of the gift. And every generation needs to do that. What an opportunity, but what a responsibility. And those of you, I'm looking at people from different generations, and some of you are sitting next to each other. And you know that passing on the values and the morality from one generation to the next is not always easy. In fact, it's always not easy. 
here's a image if it comes up of grandma and uh, I assume her granddaughter and great-granddaughter. I think there's a missing generation there. But what a wonderful opportunity for one generation to share with the next. Ah, you notice that word share? It doesn't, I didn't say to tell the next generation. It's very important. We won't be heard if we try to tell the next generation. But we need to share what we have learned is the truth. Now, I got to tell you, this little girl was born with knowledge that I'll never have. The next one. And she uses all that knowledge, and, and this is what she comes up with. So I'm trying to get her. How can Grandma, if we looked at other picture, how can Grandma talk to her now? What, what language do they use? How, how, how can they share about moral values, and how can it be given and accepted? Maybe we need to learn to give the gift and not the wrapping. Every kid seems automatically to understand an iPhone. Now, some of them grow up and they get stuck there. I'm, I, I, can't, I can kind of judge them, but I'm not sure how to talk to them. Because sometimes it feels like they live on another planet. Life must be good on that planet. But truth is, I don't, I don't get it. There's so much they seem to know, and yet there's so much they don't know. They, they don't know how to drive to Starbucks instead of calling DoorDash. They, they don't know how to pay with real money. They, they don't plan so one paycheck lasts until the next one. I have a lot to share with them. Things that will help them deal with losses and hardships and emotional ups and downs. Things that will help them to treat people they care about well, things that will help them to deal with scary thoughts they have, things that will help them to avoid breaking their parents' hearts and God's hearts, heart. Things that will help them find peace with God and know Jesus as personal savior. But if I come down on them, with thus saith the Lord, I get rejected. So I've got so much to teach these guys. And uh, I try to fit in. And that doesn't seem to work. Look at, look at worship, for instance. Uh, here's what worship means to my traditional self. And their idea of worship is more like this. And how, how do we 
communicate with each other. Um, we have a friend who got a Christmas gift card and from a son and his friend. And uh, the gift card said, that it was a scratcher. It said, I can't give you the gift right now because it hasn't arrived yet. And when you scratch it, it says, it's a baby. And she was delighted. I mean, she really was delighted. And, and, and the whole family rejoiced. But they, they told us, but said they couldn't tell their church because they're not married. So it really brought to a head for me the, the fix we're in. How do we rejoice in that gift? That gift. And still pass on sound moral guidance. When I grew up, <clears throat> questions about marriage were pretty cut and dried. My home church, uh, I... If, if you were divorced, you kind of found another church. <clears throat> and if you uh, were divorced and remarried, <clears throat> you literally could not become a member of that church. And then I moved to California. <laughs> um, and, 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 and I had to wrestle with the meaning of marriage, and I had to recognize that Marriage, as we understand the sacramental idea of marriage, was created by generations of, of, of the church interpreting the Bible. But the Bible doesn't give us a lot of clarity about that. In fact, the early stages of the Bible, we find polygamy. We find patriarchy. We find a different whole pattern of relationships. And then I run into other couples, like this one, or, or this one. And I realize people are thinking differently today. And I have to think of what is the essence of marriage what is the gift itself, and how can I communicate that in a way that doesn't emphasize the wrappings? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. I have a new way of organizing. This doesn't work very well. Oh, there we go. Okay. So <clears throat> I've, tried, I've tried to come up with how do we actually clarify what the gift is from the wrapping? And I came up with a few ideas. First of all, we need to learn from the past. We can't just live as if this is the moment when God reveals everything to us. We have to learn the whole history of the human race, generations that went before. If we don't learn that, we're going to keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Secondly, we need to clarify what the timeless truth is. 
We need to really work at that. We can't just find a proof text and say, this is it. We need to think about what this means, what is the gift, and what is the wrapping. And then we need to pass that truth on. That's our responsibility. We shouldn't shirk it. We shouldn't say, well, <clears throat> it's too hard to talk about. No, it's our responsibility to talk about it. And then we need to do this with a sense of generational partnership. Now, what we, the sign that we've had out there, what this church stands for, one of them is intergenerational partnership. And I thought the second word was kind of a throwaway, but I realize that's very important. It's, it's not a one-way street. We can never simply top-down tell people what the truth is for them in their life in this generation. But we have so much we need to share. We need to talk it through. We need to go through this process of learning from the past, clarifying the timeless truth, passing the truth on, and doing this with a sense of partnership. And if, if you do that with young people, they love it because they know you're not simply pulling rank on them. And they have so much wisdom to share with us. So we're going to start a sermon series next week on the fruits of the Spirit. And I think this is one of the ways in which we can clarify the truth. But test them against the fruits of the Spirit. But keep in mind these two images. The gifts which we value so much and we want to pass on to the people we love. The wrappings, which are throwaway. We don't want to throw away any truth, but we need to make some clear decisions and understand intergenerationally. God, thank you that we live in a world with many generations. If we all had the same experience the same background, the same way of looking at things, we'd be poor. But we are so much richer for the kaleidoscope. And yet that can, that can confuse us. So we need your help in focusing on the truth, focusing on the gifts you give us through one another, and avoid trying to pass on the wrappings.